Okay, welcome, welcome to uh, chapter five, Pedeke. And of course, as always, I want to hear your thoughts, and uh, you always feel free to interject. And I, it should be discussion type of class, of course. Um, so this this chapter, actually, we if you remember in chapter four, we didn't do uh, pasuk seventeen because it had everything to do with this chapter. So just just uh, you know, let me pull up. I'll share the screen, and we'll pull up. Oh, share the screen again. Here we go. Share screen. Share. So this this chapter is going to be uh, you know a big turning point in the sefer because uh, in a lot of ways it is you know uh, more of a general uh, teaching than 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 earlier in the book. We're going to see a lot of stuff regarding um, just general you know wisdom that. Kohelet is going to impart to us. So let me just pull up Kohelet chapter five, and we will begin. So the first thing you'll notice is, is uh, that we're going to discuss the topic of vows, vows and promises that you're going to make in the in the temple in the Beit Hamikdash. So if you look at Perek uh, Dalid Pasuk. 17. Let me just go there now. Hey, Baruch Abba. There's your Sidurma. Um, so let's look at 417 just to start off. So, you know, until now, Kohelet has offered mostly reflections and meditations on life and its problems, but now he's going to give us practical advice on getting along in the world and teaching of, of this sort will occupy much of the remainder of the book. So says Michael Fox. Uh, the main theme of the present unit is caution and making vows. The remarks about going to the temple, offering sacrifices, avoiding rash speech, and fearing God are all organized around this theme and should be interpreted in this context. So you're going to notice that's going to be the first thing. And then just one more point before we, we read. Um, as is usual in wisdom literature, he says the misdeed is condemned as foolish rather than as sinful. So as opposed to other times in the Tanakh when, when somebody does something wrong, we often feel that that we want to condemn it as being something that's a hit or an avon. Kohelet doesn't really view the wrong thing as being sinful per se. It's more of just something that this is folly. It's something that is just nonsense and it's it's foolish. It's not. It doesn't have that as much of a religious implication to it. So let's let's start reading. Is he saying text. Like it's kind of not lishma, but it's kind of applicable in that sense? It's the it's it's. Um... Well, more or less, it's like you shouldn't do it, not just because God says, but because exactly because it's dumb, because it's stupid. It's just it you're not going to see good results. Exactly, exactly, and you know, it just it doesn't pay. Basically, is I think yeah. the point, 100. percent So if you look, pasuk 17, Shemor raglecha kaashet telech el bet haElohim vekarov l'shmo ametet akeselim zava ki enam yodeim laasodra. Be not over eager to go to the house of God. More acceptable is obedience than the offering of fools, for they know nothing but to do wrong. So that's interesting because uh, we're going to see also some other. Um, I love this one. Like, yeah, what is the other one? it's it, 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 there's there's other lines in the Tanakh that are so similar, right? Right, it says Shemuel uh, tells Shaul. Shaul wants to bring a korban. And he brings it at the wrong time. And Shemuel says, isn't it better to actually listen to 
God's voice of Keshev Mehelev Mehelev Instead, and, and just hearkening to God's uh, voice rather than bringing the fat of lambs. So what does God really care about? Say it again. The 100%. Yeah, so it's, it's all, it all ties into this idea of we're overly obsessed with these religious rituals or the vows or anything like that. We're not going to be moral. That's what the rest of the Tanakh is saying. He's going to point out a little bit of a different perspective on the folly of all that. So let's, let's dig in. Well, and the, and the second half what of chapter five. What does the obedience of fools? I don't know if this is a recap, so you want to go quick. The obedience of fools. What do you mean? What does it say that? Oh, no, but more acceptable is obedience than the offering of fools. Meaning, we should be obedient oh, okay. rather than being offering offering you know, like korbano like a fool. Yeah. Exactly, and that's it's foolish to just care about um, the the externalities of religion rather than actually listening to God's moral voice. But the, the interesting thing is he's not obsessed with the morality of anything. And I think that's something that happens when you have the Kohelet perspective of things are a little bit more nihilistic. You take it out of the realm of morality and into the realm of it's just foolish. What about yeah. this idea of Shemurak Lecha Tashar Telecha Hashem? Like watch your feet when you when you say you're walking to the house of God. Yes, when you like are people, going. So many people do things in the name of God. Mm. And they're they're the wrong things. They're not just good. They're they're yes. terrible. And they say like you know, I mean, we could say in the Muslim religion, like it's very obvious, uh, like uh, in the name of God. Even in our religion, yes, you know, they're shaming people in the name of God. They're they're ostracizing the name of God. And Rabbi they, Sachs has a whole book uh, called "Not in God's Name." Yeah, where yeah. he, I think the the uh, the commandment "Lotane b'reacha." Oh, sorry, "Lotisad shem adonai lecha l'shav." Don't take God's name in vain. It doesn't have to mean that. It could also mean don't invoke God's name in vain. Don't invoke the name of God when you're going to do something evil. Yeah. You know, that's also a, a violation of that third commandment. And so I think that's, that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Beautiful. So let's see uh, chapter five. Let's dig in. Um, any points that I want to make as introductory? Not yet. Okay. Keep your mouth from being rash. And that, let not your throat be quick to bring forth speech before God. All right. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. That is why your words should be few. All right. So how does that hit you? What is, what's your first reaction to that? Well, you'll see me excited. I feel like you got to like, chill out here on ego death. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent that, you know, you have to know your place. Right. And if you're going to make a vow, if you're going to say all these things, what's the reason for that? You, you, you have to if you're if you're really a humble person, if you're really a person who knows his place, you're not going to speak rashly. You're not going to promise something you can't promise because God basically knows best. Right. God knows what you're capable of and, uh, and, and not capable of. So interestingly here, Ibn Ezra, funny enough, he takes this as an injunction against PU team against these elaborate liturgical poems that found their way into um, liturgy. And he thinks that they're just obscure and ungrammatical that, you know, and a lot of different hachamim turned it into something like anything that you're going to say towards God, whether it's a vow, whether it's prayer, it has to be precise. It has to be thoughtful. It can't just be willy nilly poetry. According to, to Ibn Ezra. Kind of right after our last one, chapter four, which is like, don't just say things in the name of God. Exactly. 100%. And now don't say things in front of God in the sense like everything we do is kind of. Everything yeah. we do is before God, so yeah. that means don't talk to God. I heard someone the other day say, um, 
I'm afraid to be on the beach in front of a rabbi in a bikini. And I said, well, I wouldn't want to be in front of a rabbi in a bikini either. <laughs> <laughs> but she said, oh, I, I, there's going to be a rabbi and I'm afraid. Uh, and, and, and I said, well, what, you, God, God always sees you. God, right. it, it's going to put like, I, I feel you. Like yeah. When you're speaking, you're always in the sense before God. When exactly. you're doing, when you're being. That's, yeah, but it's that's harder for people yeah. to relate to like such a physical thing. thing. Yeah, when they see the rabbi, it becomes very yeah. obvious. They become yeah. exactly beautiful over what they're subconscious about. Yeah, and that's that's something we all have to do our own hashbuna nefesh. How do we want to behave at all times? Not yeah. just when somebody's you know watching us that we that we care about. You know, kiba halom berov enyan. Just as dreams come with much brooding, so does foolish utterance come with much speech. All right, so what do you think of that? That's interesting. What kind of dreams? Dreams like gold or dreams like I think just, you know, dreams and aspirations. That's the way I take it. Well, well, if we think about brooding, I don't know if that's translated right, but, but I'm thinking of halom. And you think about like psychology, like things are coming from things that we're not, that we're thinking about, but we're not saying. Yes. Or are we maybe underneath the surface? They're like in us, they're, they're like really heavily weighing on us in a sense. Absolutely. Um, and foolish utterance is almost the opposite of that. Like in a way, it's kind of like a contrast. Yeah. Um, but in what, like, the more you speak, the more you brood, the more, the more intense the dreams are going to come. The more you speak, the more something bad is probably going to happen. Yes, and I think, so dreams coming with much brooding and the foolish utterance coming with much speech. So yeah, exactly. The more you speak, the more you just ramble on and on, the higher the likelihood you're going to say something dumb. So I know, you know, rabbis that, that give tons of classes and then they, they get them for like one uh, sound bite that they say. Somebody could certainly do that with some of my classes. God knows I don't always speak properly and my friends could testify to that the most. But the point is that, yeah, you just run the risk of the more you ramble, the more things you're going to be able to find that are wrong with what you say. But, but obviously, everyone's human. You're always going to make mistakes. But maybe just don't ramble as much, and you'll, you won't incur that issue as much. But also this idea of brooding. Um, the, Michael Fox. Anyan, yeah. So he says, better is busyness. You know, like, so this verse recalls chapter 2, verse 23, which says that the toiler's thoughts are troubled even at night. So if you're constantly toiling and worrying, you know, that's also something that's going to get to you. And it's... Uh, Mike, what's one of the yeah. biggest signs of like um, anxiety? Anxiety, exactly. 100%. How do, how do, exactly. You have to ask question. Sleep is uh, a very good indicator of how your mental health is overall. But know? it's really interesting that one comes from not speaking enough because you're not being open enough, obviously. Or yes. Putting out into the world of what you're dealing with. The other comes from too much. Yes. It's kind of... Uh, not, yeah. Wow, I love that. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's unconscious and conscious in the balance there. Yeah, that's beautiful. You're not thinking. The other one, you're not thinking enough. Yes. The fool needs to think more. Wow. And the other guy's thinking too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's foolish to just continue to brood and continue to to worry about the same thoughts. Also, I think that's part of what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll get there. I think he's going to mention a lot of that very soon too. Kiba halom berov anyan vekolkes osu. We said that already. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it, for he has no pleasure in fools what you vow fulfill. So amazingly, there's a quote in Devarim that's almost identical. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not uh, put off fulfilling it. It's almost identical. 
Um, so it's, it's recalling what the Torah says. But whereas Devarim speaks about guilt, right? And you will have incurred guilt, Kohelet warns against folly. So it's, again, that same uh, concept that we've been discussing, that it's not just about the morality of the thing. It's just foolish. It's foolish to make a, a vow because in your word means nothing. Not because of like a guilt and not because necessarily that you have sinned, but just because this is something that is not going to turn out well for you overall in your life. So it's saying he in chafetz. Yeah. It's, and it says he, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it means Elohim. But it, it's... Yeah, ki and hef it's bakesilim. There is no God doesn't pleasure in that you couldn't, yeah, because because the last subject was Elohim, Lelohim, and therefore and hef it's for God bakesilim. God has no need for for foolishness, foolish people. Exactly, exactly. It's interesting the word fulfillment there, shalem. Yes, leshalem. Ah, that's interesting. It's it's no, I wasn't even thinking of shalom on the altar, but I was. Mm-hmm. It's a, just an interesting word for to finish. Yeah. The Torah says it's the same word. Right, same word. So I think he's purposely quoting oh, wow. the Torah. That's exactly, it's, it's almost an exact quote. But he, the point is the contrast. The Torah cares more about guilt. He cares less about guilt and more about specifically this idea of folly. Yeah. So let's see how it plays out. It's, a, it's an interesting way that he develops this idea. It's better not to vow at all than to vow. And not fulfill, right? Don't let your mouth bring you into disfavor, and don't plead before the messenger that it was an error. But fear God, else God may be angered by your talk and destroy your possessions. So that's really interesting. There's a few points that I want to make here. All right, so some people suggest that this messenger was the messenger sent out by the priest to collect the vows that you promised. But it makes sense, but we don't really see that ever historically being the case. An interesting reading also is that what the Septuagint and the Peshitta, they say that there's a, a, Hebrew, a Hebrew text that says that had, that, sorry, it had God instead of messenger. So you can insert God instead of Malach. And the, the implication is the same. If it's a real Malach, like Malach HaElohim. No, Malach could be an angel of God even, right? So the implication is the same. Since an angel is God's messenger and an instrument of his will. So Deuteronomy says that God himself will seek or demand payment of the vow. So it's in line with Devarim exactly. That God will come and have recourse with you if you don't do what you said you were going to do. So I love the Four Agreements, one of my favorite books that my sister gave me. Uh, it has as the first agreement is be impeccable with your word, that everything that you say should always be on target, at least strive for that. And not just and I think it's the most important, not just with others. Of course, it's important to speak properly with others and your vows and things like that. But more important, I would say, and he says in the book, is your speech with yourself. The internal dialogue that we have is so valuable and it, you could be your own worst enemy. If you don't pay attention to the things you're saying, you could easily get depressed or anxious or any of that stuff. But if you practice this positive speech and being nice to yourself and speak to yourself the way you would speak to the person you love the most, so and give yourself the compassion that you would give to your niece or your nephew or your grandson or whatever it is, then you could really start to get your life on track. 
And I think that's one of the values here that Kohelet's getting at is this idea of just pay attention to what you're saying because your words do matter. And not just in terms of Lashon with other people, but internal Lashon as well. So I think but that's just... Like even your thoughts, ah, not even just what you're saying. Absolutely, 100%. Your thoughts and your, your internal dialogue is your thoughts. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Internal dialogue is your thoughts and dreams. Exactly. Same same thing. Yeah, um, I love, yeah. I, I'm thinking of don't plead before the messenger. Like I think of like Lashon Ara, like once you let it out, it's gone. And don't go plead. Oh, I didn't mean yes. it. I didn't mean it this way. Exactly. Once you let it out there. Yep. There's no taking it back. before anyone. Yeah. That you need to change what you said. Like exactly. it's, in, it's in the newspaper now. They quoted right. you. Exactly. There's no. Before the, the messenger is your voice, your vocals in that sense. Well, yeah. yeah. There's no, there's no taking back something, you know, that, that it did its, it did its effect already on the world. And you have to. Shot the arrow. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly it. And, and then why does it say God is going to destroy your possessions? That seems to be more of a tit for tat thing. Like uh, it's midah keneged midah. God is going to in turn damage your property because you reneged on the vow about God's property. So it's just trying to give you the sense of this is the way the world works, is that you do good, you get good. If you are just in your word, you'll receive justice back. If not, not. Look at the, the cheta et That's a funny way of saying it. Yes. So, L'chati et b'sarecha. Your, your literal self. Your flesh. Your flesh is being. It sounds like when they talk about the land being um, sinned by the people. Ah, beautiful. And your, yeah. your being is being sinned. And then you do, literally, the, and the work of everything you do That's is right. incurred. Because it's literally in you. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's everything. It's, it's so, it's and so that, direct. self-talk you were talking about. Like it's, exactly. it's, you are what you portray. Exactly. It's very incisive into the self directly. And we can think of the type of people who would speak less than around. I mean, we all do. But but it's um, yeah. the type of situations when we're you know, probably feeling subconscious about it. Yeah. And, and if we're going to be judging others, we're most probably judging ourselves in some way. Absolutely. And you have to almost feel compassionate for these people because they must be really painful judging themselves. Absolutely. That's that's beautiful. 100. Yeah. percent It takes it takes a high level to get there, but that's yeah. exactly right. That's that's 100 percent the goal. Beautiful. Now here we get back to halamot. So I'm glad you brought that up. For much dreaming leads to futility and to superfluous talk. So we're going to see the idea about fearing God soon. They, they put that later on in the translation. But I think here it's a very difficult sentence to translate because it doesn't really make so much sense. The dreaming leads to futility. Really what makes a little bit more sense is if you amend the text a little bit with, the, with certain letters that... You, instead, you have, for many words are like many dreams and absurdities. That if you just keep speaking words, then they become like halomot and havalim. So, ki berov halomot vahavalim devarim harbe. I think you would say, like, many words are rov halomot and havalim. They're just absurd. Just fear God. Enough with the big talk. A lot of the uh, of Tehillim talks about lashon uh, medaberet gedolot. We are all of this, and they have this haki balash, and they, they care so much about big talk, and you see that in politicians a lot, and I think the, the point that here, in sports? yeah, in sports, see that everywhere, yeah. trash talking, all that stuff, it's just it's, nonsense. Maybe it's rooted in this fantasy, yeah. it fantasizes. You wouldn't be talking if you weren't caught up in your dream. Uh, not, yeah. not your actual dream, but these dreams you have for yourself. Yes. And these fake fantasies. And then 
then you're just talking as if you've already done If you that. knew your real place, if you weren't living Bahalomot, yeah. maybe you would be more grounded in reality and you wouldn't feel the need to have this big talk. You'd be more humble. Exactly. 100%. I don't know, it's a little cynical though because it kind of discourages dreaming, but you didn't have people who are So it doesn't, it's not dreaming as aspirations. It's, it's like futile like things, fantastical, not rooted in reality, not, you know, head in the clouds, ridiculousness. Less of a, not, not like an but aspiration. Where do you draw the line? Yeah, there, it's got, it, well, there, I think a lot of this book is talking about those thin lines, like we talked about before. So you, you brought up an amazing point here, that there is a, a right place to dream, that we should like have, right? We, yeah. have a, we need to have a goal. Yeah, and we, we should. need people to do things Absolutely. for the world, right? Just like before <laughs> with the dreams, there was a right place for speaking. Now they're now perhaps, but too much. It's too for much dreaming for raw chalamot. This is yes. raw. It's, it's actually maybe that's if we're we're up to the, the belief that every word in here is vital. That's the word raw. The, yes, vital. By the way, could you text Al? I think he wanted to come. I don't know if you forgot or yeah, not. But if yeah, not, yeah, it's fine. Corona. So oh no, fine. text Al to 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 join the Zoom if he wants. Oh, I think okay. he. If yeah, not, yeah, so he not, might he might just he might just not be able to. But it's fine. Thank you so much. Um, so now just one po- two points about the idea of yirat Hashem. Here, it's fear means true fear, not only reverence. It's not just about kavod for God. It's actual fear of God and what he's capable of doing because Kohelet pictures a God who will lash out in anger. That's what Michael Fox says based on different portions of this book. So it's a scary God in a little bit. It's, it's like a God you need to have actual fear from. And interestingly enough, another book that's also attributed to Shalomon is Mishle, Mishle Shalomon. And that's a book that focuses tremendously on his virtue of fear of God, of real yirat Elohim. And God, God-fearing men will shun faultless vows and vain excuses. Also in Mishle, we see the same idea of enough of these excuses, enough of these vows and this empty talk. That's not what a person with real, real yirat Hashem would do. A person with real yirat Hashem measures his words and cares about the things that they say and think and, and all that comes into play. So that, that was slightly technical, but I think it was very, you know, uh, important to, to discuss that idea of vows. Now, until uh, the end of the chapter, we're going to see stuff that's even more applicable to today's day and age because we don't have actual vows, but we do have speech. But now we'll see things that are even more directly applying to us today. One, one more thing. Please, yeah. English yeah. Inspire. This is where you have to be really careful. Yeah. It just fully leaves out. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're going to bring that up in, a, in, a, in one pasuk. I think they're going to... They're gonna. They 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 think that that phrase fits better in a different pasuk. So they do that. It's weird. It's so weird. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's gonna come up in a second, right? So let's see pasuk seven. So now just a very quick preface. So pasukim seven through eleven are gonna be about oppression and greed. So obviously that's something that that's super important in today's society for the community, all that. Um, so it's not just a societal thing. It's also an individual thing. So let's pay attention. To what the text is saying. Im Oshek Rash Vegezel Mishpat Vasedek Ter Eba Medina Al Titmah Alahevet Kigavoa Meal Gavoa Shomer Uvohim Alehim. If you see in a province oppression of the poor and suppression of right and justice, don't wonder at the fact. For one high official is protected by a higher one, and both of them by still higher ones. Right? So that's so. Interesting. He's saying, don't be surprised when you see injustice being done. Right. So he never, in stark contrast to the rest of the Tanakh, Kohelet never is demanding or expecting improvements 
like we were just talking about with Rabbi Hittari, it's not about look at Mitzrayim and be angry with what's happening and go demand justice. He's not saying that. He's saying instead, just he wants to diagnose the illness and he doesn't care about a remedy for it. That's the way Michael Fox puts it. And, and interestingly enough, the word Medina is great because it implies a province inside of a larger empire. So it's one small little cog in that giant machine. Uh, so, and he, the, the, the scholars believe it's probably the Hellenistic Ptolemaic Empire, which was ruled from Alexandria. And interestingly enough, where else in the Tanakh do we hear the idea of Medinot? We just had the holiday of Purim. Exactly. And which empire was that? That was the great Persian Empire. So the authors of both books, both Megillah Desir and Kohelet, feel this weight of like this oppressive and inflexible imperial bureaucracy on their heads. It's funny in the word Medinot is being... Ah, exactly. Or missing mm, beautiful. I never even noticed that. That's fantastic. Ma, ma dean. It's like not even there. Yeah, yeah. Dean. <laughs> That's great. There you go. Where's the dean? Where's the where's the real rule of law? 100%. That's very clever. Right? And uh, also he says in, in Ptolemaic times, the imperial bureaucracy was largely an instrument of tax gathering and it became very complex and burdensome. So I think it's just interesting to have that historical view of what might have been going on at the time because you, you could kind of see where the author is coming from. If Kohelet is not Shalom, if it's just this, this author telling a story about this fictional, char- fictional character, but inspired by the injustices seen by big empires. And, well, this is so yeah. old as time. Exactly. It goes beyond it's probably before any of them. Absolutely. Back to Stoneman and Ra, and even before, probably. 100%. I and mean, right now, today, right here, I mean, the Ebuna crisis we're yeah. talking about, and, and, and way deeper than that. Yeah, any, um, any kind of injustice. I want, I want to know more yeah. about what it means. Al Don't, don't be surprised, right? Don't Tidma. wonder at the fact. Huh. Yeah, Tamiha is like, is so, like so a surprise. almost have um, a healthy skepticism about our our government. Yeah. Wow, um, so that was kind have of, a healthy skepticism about of the government and system. Yes, absolutely. You definitely don't be surprised. Don't just fully trust. No, but he's saying more than that. Don't be surprised at the fact that there is injustice because it's so systematic. Mm. He's saying like there's one high official. He's protected by another higher one. Both of them are still higher ones. About systemic racism. It sounds like that, right? There's there's just oppression of women. Yes, there's corruption. He says all the way up. There's corruption all the way. Start to scream like the people who say like the Torah and the Tanakh is is right wing and and, you know all pushing these terrible values. You point to this pasuk right here and no. Exactly. We're talking about like systemic injustice. Like exactly. you can go straight to NYU with this. <laughs> anybody, anybody could come from their 21st century perspective yeah. and try to say, look how racist the Torah was. But to do that is such a, a dishonesty with the text, not realizing that the very tools of logic that you're using to analyze the world were built on the foundations of a Judeo-Christian value system, which is built on the Torah. And the Torah was revolutionary in its time. And we have to continue that revolutionary spirit today. That's exactly the point. Except and the gear, yeah. Exactly, 100%. I feel like this could also be like very metaphorical because you have one high official protected by a higher official. So it's kind of like you have people validating. So like when people are doing wrongdoing, like you can understand why they're doing wrongdoing. They have people up like that exactly. they respect who validate their wrongdoing. So I feel like it's all a yep. chain. We were just That's answering following orders. High yeah. It's bringing people low. Yeah. If you're going upper and upper mm-hmm. up this thing. Exactly. It's keeping people in... Uh, in the in the bottom, yeah, it's we're getting lost. We think we're going high, but well, really we're in the aretz and Hashem's in the shemayim. Exactly. Open open up the chapter with that. Video. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love the 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 contrast. Exactly. Yeah. You're you're down here, 
the real Melech, the real God is the real Melech. And now look at look at the next pasuk. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Now look at the next pasuk. Look at this. Ve'yitron eretz b'kol hu melech l'sadene avad. Thus, the greatest advantage in all the land is his. He controls a field that is cultivated. Now I control the shemaim and the aretz. Now I really think he's God. So this is an this is a very difficult pasuk to translate, but I think it's just trying to say, look how valuable. Instead of having this complex empirical bureaucracy of a government that's so unnatural you know what what really is good is an agricultural society there's a simplicity and a beauty in this agrarian society right so it's praising agriculture as advantageous to the country and he says this natural and productive way of life stands in contrast to the self-serving bureaucracy in verse seven that we just saw and the compulsive consumerism of verse nine so it's so many, you know, echoes of what we're seeing today, consumerism and bureaucracy and the feeling of distance and, and, and facelessness and nobody really knows each other. How much better would it just be to have a field, cultivate the field and eat its produce? There's a beauty in that simplicity. That's so funny because there's an entire, like, essay, I forgot the archaeologist who wrote it, but it's basically talking about how agriculture was like the downfall of society. Wow. Yeah, you should definitely read it. Oh, okay, hundred percent. I can yeah. see it. It's saying control your own. It's this is the anti-government. Yes, you know, control your own field. Control your own field, and, and exactly. don't worry about anything else. Like it's like a capitalist, but even more, yes. just like small, go- small central maybe government. Even, it, maybe even also supporting the kibbutz. Like just control what you control yeah. in your own field. Um, but then I read it a fully different way. My first way through, mm-hmm. I see this man who's high up controlling the whole field. The land is his. He controls the field. He's the Melech. This man who's high, high, high up. Yeah, it's very hard to translate. Is that an off reading? I I don't know. I don't know because it's very, it's very syntactically very difficult to read. The greatest advantage. Yeah, who's who? The guy we just talked about. The guy Gvoha. Gvoha Mishum. Could be. Really could be. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. He controls the field that is cultivated. Yeah. It could very well be, but I don't. I think it seems like it's a contrast. It seems to me most that it's giving you the the converse. That vav is a vav, uh, the change exactly. It's uh, is is this is could, could, yeah. That, not vav would be a verb, but oh. in a similar vein, yes, it is definitely mehapech the the meaning of yeah. from the previous one hundred percent. So let's see. Now this is where I love this this type of wisdom here, and it's reminiscent of like a mishle type of thing. A lover of money never has his fill of money, nor a lover of wealth his fill of income. I think this needs to be on every billboard. That's right. Exactly. Absolutely. It needs to be everywhere. That too is futile. So how much does this apply? Say it again. What's the distinction between money, wealth? Oh, no, it's it's trying. To, I think it's uh, it's it's a uh, tikbolet. Tikbolet meaning it's it's saying the same thing in two in different ways. So it's just using like poetic way of saying yeah, well wealth, income, money, all of it. If you try to amass it and there's no end to it, it just becomes well, becomes ridiculous. So I think that's the beauty of uh, what he's saying. And um, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty much as simple as that. Uh, I think this is something that I you know I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of you adults, you know, and uh, Dr. Nasser in particular, I'm sure you could speak to this. You spoke to it last week, that there's there's such a, a lack of emunah. That's that's what you were expressing last week in the inability to be a workaholic. You know, if you, the inability to stop working. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I got a little flack for that. And by the way, back to the, the previous Pasuk, uh, controlling his old land. I mean, it is hard to interpret, I agree, but I thought it meant, you know, meaning downsize, you know? You, don't, you can't control everything. You can't deal with, uh, you know, whatever's going on in the world with these uh, corrupt uh, politicians or whatever the case may be, but you could have a piece of land and you could have some plants and some food and you can be appreciative of that, meaning, you know, kind of close down, you know, don't don't get too involved in things, just kind of keep it simple and appreciate it. hundred percent. That's exactly right. I think he, the simplicity of it is really what rings true. And once you build a, a government that's so big and you rely on your wealth and income from from that kind of a thing, you see injustice, it just, it, there's no real remedy to that, according to Kohelet. It's just a, a part and parcel of a bureaucratic system. Right? And here's the problem with that. If you're in your little uh, field and that's all you have, and then some locusts come or you don't yeah. get rain, you're dead. So, you know, it's not exactly the best prescription for <laughs> a long life, you know. That's why we have bartering and we have uh, commerce and we have civilization is to, to balance out, uh, you know, the natural cycle of, of farming. Farming is really difficult when you have no, no backup, you know, and that's the only thing you have. Exactly. Well, actually, farming started because of the ability to store surplus. Like, so even in agricultural society, there was never that issue of like a lack of food, even in tough crops, like mm. weather, because there was always surplus. Surplus. Well, yeah, I guess. Yes, yes. I understand what you're saying, but it helps if you have, if you're farming one thing, someone else is farming something else, someone else is hunting, someone else is doing the security. And then you can take some extra of what you have and transfer it into this and that, you know, meaning like a little mini civilization. If you're just farming one small plot of land, you know, I'm saying you don't get the resilience uh, and you can't really get all the things you might need by yourself. And the benefits of, course, of in a society where people specialize, they could perfect a certain art. Everyone perfects their own thing. And then you just have better results for everybody because of the specialization. Yeah, that's why we have cities like that, you know, because uh, it's it's successful that way. And you can't, you, you know, one farm is really susceptible to, you know, flooding, pestilence. You know, it's just, uh, it's very hard to live like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I just, I don't want to miss the context of this line. Like this line comes after that line. Yes. That even sure. if in your great farm, like in this field that you cultivate, you know, it'll never be enough. Exactly. Don't don't become too obsessed with it because yeah. you're not going to 100%. Very good. The vessel that's never filled. Someone gave me a line yesterday yeah. or a couple of days ago about um, someone who thinks they're, they're drinking, they're drinking, they're drinking, they, they keep on getting thirstier because mm. they're drinking salt water. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, and that, and what's like the vessel, the hole's getting bigger. Mm. And all the things that we think will fill us and don't. That's right. It's very profound. I, I agree. And we have to, as a society today, we need to, especially our community, for sure. Um, as his substance increases, so do those who consume it. What then does the success of its owner amount to but feasting his eyes? So this is also a little bit difficult to translate, but it seems like it's, so what then does the, the success of its owner amount to but feasting his eyes? So it literally means here the sight of his eyes, but if, another way to translate is, and the only benefit, the only kishron for its owner is the sight of his eyes. Wealth is always precarious 
because you know it could you could it could be taken from you by people who are jealous of you. So the only real benefit of wealth, and this is going to be the theme for the next few pesukim, and this is an incredibly wise idea, is the immediate experience or the seeing of the pleasure. Meaning, if you amass all this wealth but you never get to enjoy it, that's the tragedy. But if you have you wealth, seventy with a billion in the bank, exactly. And now you're old man, and you can't run, and you can't do anything. Can't with do it. What are you going to do? What, what's the point? Right. So, and he recommends this very often in chapter two, chapter three, chapter five, chapter eight. He's going to he's going to echo the same idea that if you keep on working and you keep on toiling and you never, ever enjoy what you worked for, then what's the point of all of it? Uh, you know, you're just going to keep on the, the consumption of it is never going to be done by you. Um, and it, the only thing that really does make sense is to at least enjoy some of it. It's, and he'll say that in much more beautiful words very soon. Did we pass that yet where the kids won't enjoy it right either? I don't think we passed it yet. I think uh, we're going to have that either this chapter, maybe next one. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Man, uh, let's see if it's what you're thinking. But I think of what I'm looking at it right. Yeah. Now, you got to think of uh, Shema at the end of it. You know, look at Turach. Ah, uh, uh, beautiful. You know, yeah. don't chase after that eye. That everything is seeing. That looks good. Yes. And but look. he's but he is saying that you should enjoy what you do already have. He's saying don't work too hard to. Really, I feel like it's sarcastic. It's just a feast. We'll see. Eyes. It's going to be. It's going to be more clear in, in a couple of days. Okay. Stick around. Let's see. Uh, I think it's it's it might be the next Not section. No, it's going to be this chapter. Don't worry. It's going to be here. We'll see. That's right. <laughs> Love it. All right. So we just did chapter. Oh, sorry, pasuk ten. So let's see pasuk eleven. Metuka shenat haoved im meat v'im harbe yochel v'sabal leashir enenu maniach lo lishon. A worker's sleep is sweet, whether he has much or little to eat, but the rich man's abundance doesn't let him sleep. That's right. More money, more problems. <laughs> I was thinking that last week, and I didn't say it. And that's exactly, exactly right. Marbe nechasim, marbe de'aga. That's from Perke Avot. I, I even wrote that. I always quote that. The more possessions you have, the more de'aga and anxiety you're going to have, the more things you have to worry about. And it just doesn't pay to have all that like anxiety. A man with a thousand more. Wow, yeah. <laughs> it, it certainly does. And, and there's marbe nashim, marbe keshafim. The more women, the more, the more magic. That's <laughs> in I don't know if I'll go that far. Today's day and age, at least. Who knows what was happening at the time of uh, the Hakamim? Right there, there were all these sorceresses and stuff like that. But, but the interesting point. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Um, the interesting point that they make here is you don't even have to say Oved. It might actually be Eved more precisely with the, changing around the Nekudot, because whoever it is, this person, it's not about the fact that they are a worker because the rich man and the poor man are both working, but rather the fact that he doesn't own anything. The Eved has no plot of land that he owns to be worried about, but the rich man has this insomnia because he's constantly worried about other people consuming his wealth, right? And that, hence the Hachamim statement of So that's just an interesting point to think about. And I always wonder about that. You look at people that are the top of their field, the head CEO, the head this, the head that. But so often it just looks like a, a crazy job. You know, you want to be the president of the United States. Are you so sure you want to be the president? You know how much anxiety comes with that? I mean, it's a big, uh, you know, zechut, but you kind of have to weigh your personal happiness with whatever position you're going to go after. And, and also the amount of possessions that you're going to own, especially in the ancient world when 
things were so up in the air and there were pro probably so many thieves and pirates and who knows what when you yeah, had Obed. Why do you think they translated Ovid as work or not? Is it Ovid or Ibed? So because an Ovid might have a plot of land. Is but it an Ovid or Ibid? It, so here it says Ovid, but you could also change the Nikudot around to make it Ivid. So a worker and I a, see it as, you know, when you have like a really, like people with anxiety or, or that energy and they can't sleep at night. And it's a, a lot of the times people, what is it? Slaves to the mind. Slaves to the mind, for mm. sure. I love that. But um, huh. I was going to go a different direction in that they're uh, not doing enough during the day. They're not tired at night. They have all this energy they didn't do. They didn't work. Mm. When you work, you know, when you work. Which, which person day, is that in the Pasuka? The, well, it's the opposite of Ovid. When you work, mm. Ovid is someone who works a full day. Ah, uh, yes. And he comes to bed at the end of the night. He's going to sleep great. He, but the Ashir also is, is not going to sleep, uh, not because he didn't work, yeah. but because he has too much possession. Yeah. So that, I think that's, but I hear your point. Hundred well, percent. Michael, I think uh, Ebed or Obed, however you want to call it, it seems to be like. I mean, I to me, it conjures up a manual laborer, kind of like what you're saying, someone who works with his hands. I don't know what he's doing, but he's he's working. He's exerting energy. A rich man generally does not exert energy uh, during their labor. It's if they're they usually own things and they're they're transacting, but they're not actually working. So that's how I yeah. thought of it. Uh, could just be a modern reading. For sure, no, I love that. And I think the, the underlying thing is that the Ovid or the Evid, whoever it is, doesn't have to worry about all these possessions necessarily like the rich man does. And, and I'm sure there, it seems like you're saying there is a fulfillment in the, the, a good day's work. And he's tired. Is, I'm saying he's yes, also tired. Yes, he's tired. And, there, and, he, and you know what? There's, there's, a, there's a Nahat Ruach that he gets when he gets home from a long day, despite being so tired. He gets to go home and go under the covers and relax. But the, the person that's a rich man is constantly worried about all his assets and all these different things, all these moving pieces that he can never really relax. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like looking at it, for example, from the, uh, I guess the Ashir, right? The, the simple man's perspective, right? If you look at the economy today, if you have a regular job, making a salary, you're pretty happy every day. Go to work, you come home, you're stable. You know everything's fine unless you lose your job. Rich man usually doesn't work salary. Mm. They're working on their assets, their stocks are doing well, or their real estate. Now, what happens, I know during COVID, yeah. when it came, of course, nobody was really paying rent because, you know, the government, mm. a lot of people lost money on their rentals. They had to, they still have to pay the, you know, the owners have to pay yes. for the tax, for the, for the rent. Somebody has to maintain the house. The renters aren't paying their bills for the, for whole, now so far a year. So everyone's real estate was losing money for an entire year, right? So, so now you're looking at it from their perspective, they're losing a lot of money. They're not stable. They're not. They're not um, secure. Yeah. And when you're not secure, I, I mean, I'd be scared also. Right? Yeah. There's no. And, and that's the problem with being also in their perspective. They don't have that backing. Exactly. And it's a big problem. Well, the simple man who just goes it's to work and knows he's getting, let's say, four thousand whatever a month, he knows what he's getting. He, you know, like he's secure. He's going to sleep. Like, Absolutely. Even Beautiful. Four thousand. He's going to sleep. Got nothing to worry about. Biduk. So let's see. So, so if you, anyone have any more comments or questions on that section, because we'll move on to the next section um, and we'll see more of, of these ideas play out. Any questions or comments? All right, let's dive right in. So now the next thing is going to be a familiar oh, yeah, topic. This, is the, this, is, what this is the thing, right? I knew the it. Whole community. I know it. Exactly. So this is toil and pleasure. This is like <laughs> real amal and, and uh, enjoyment. So let's see what he says. So now Kohelet's going to describe three evils. The first evil is a man earns wealth but loses it. That's going to be the first three pesukim, yeah. and then it's the next two pesukim is going to be 
the person leaves the world with nothing and he lived a life of miserable self-deprivation. And then the third section, which is going to be next chapter, is a person receives wealth from God, but he's not able to enjoy it. And instead, a stranger enjoys and benefits from it. And that's so interesting um, because we see in the Torah, like we've mentioned in previous classes, who are the people that have to go home before we fight a war? Who built a home, married a woman, uh, you know, um, sorry, you patrolled the woman and, and planted a vineyard and didn't enjoy any of those things. You got to go home and enjoy them because the biggest tragedy in the world would be to be at the precipice of a great accomplishment or enjoying the fruits of your labor and to not enjoy that Shabbat, not Shabbat. Exactly. Beautiful. We, we, we've definitely been spoiled by that. We, and we don't even, we take it for granted. We have every week a day to just sit with our labors. It's so beautiful. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's right. And then the seventh day, it should be in your eyes. The seventh day, maybe you didn't finish all your work. But you should have your mindset as though you're done with all your work and not be worried that day. That day should be you'll sleep, you'll sleep better and you won't be like the person worrying about all his assets. That's beautiful, 100%. You, you, I'm sure you can. And that's the, the Adam 1, Adam 2 dichotomy. It's not just that you're Adam 1 for six days and Adam 2 for the seventh day. There's little moments of Adam 2 in your daily life. And I'm sure at night could be one of those, you know, and just relaxing and winding down. Self-care, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I think also you have to also still worry a little bit in terms of what's going to happen. And that's why people, even even let's talk about the regular working person, think about his future. Yes. How he's going to survive in civilization, right? Like, even me, I'm 21. I'm trying to grow. And obviously, there's much to be done. But if I look too far, I'll be afraid. And then I won't go to sleep because I haven't done enough. Exactly. But if I look in the present and where I am today about what I was doing yesterday, I think I'm, I'm a lot better than I was yesterday. And that's where there's this, I guess, a certain balance to how you're supposed to look at things. But you should be a little bit worried. To keep mm-hmm. I love that. I'm not as I, good I, as I'm, I'm Yeah, I agree I with to. that. I mean, it's a little, maybe we're getting off topic, but I think the reason why there's so much of a focus on being in the moment now, you know, is I think the tendency is to over worry. It's not that worrying is bad or planning for the future is bad. I mean, uh, obviously, if you don't plan for the future, you're not going to have a future. I mean, you can't just expect tomorrow to be the same as today and, and not grow and not have any plans. But, you know, you're not going to get married. You're not going to have a career. You're not going to have anything if you don't think about the future. But I think the, the problem is that there's an over-wearing and over-emphasis on, on always thinking of what could go wrong and, and how am I going to do this? And and it clouds and it interferes with your um, your ability to enjoy the present moment. Um, again, I know we're getting off topic, but that's why the, that the, there's a backlash that. against that. I love that point. We've become so obsessed with toil and work that the pendulum is necessarily swinging back in the other way, which is you only live once and live for today. And there's, of course, a balance to be struck. And I think that's the real wisdom that we could kind of get. And that's why Kohelet is such a welcome voice in society today and in this class because we are so obsessed with workaholism and accomplishment and we need this voice also of and perfectionism we need this voice of today what about today and i think it's a balance of both that everybody finds in their own lives you know so let's see so just as a preface before we read pasuk 12 
So Kohelet's going to depict this, a complex scenario to drive home the importance of immediate enjoyment. So we're going to see a man who works and hoards all of his money and then suddenly loses it. And the point is he did not enjoy his wealth while he had it, and now it's gone. So let's see how he portrays that. Here is a grave evil I have observed under the sun. You would think, okay, maybe he's going to talk about some kind of injustice. Maybe he's going to talk about somebody abusing their power. No. Riches hoarded by their owner to his misfortune. Or somebody, what happens? Let's see. All right, so the so what's the what's the evil here? The deprivation by the stingy man of himself that he's imposing on himself by hoarding his stuff and not enjoying it. A person who's so cheap and so miserly that he never spends on anything. That's the greatest evil in Kohelet's eyes. His own toil was evil. Ah, and and, and evil I, to himself. Yes, and he mentions that and about the world, himself. The world didn't take, get advantage of what he put it. Yes, and Kohelet says it about him, his own self in a prior chapter. He says, yeah, I, 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 if only I didn't work so hard and, 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 how many, and not enjoy my life. You know, how many dads do we see in this position right now? I feel like they feel all over the community. They're grinding their whole lives and they don't even know how to stop. Yes. Grandpa. Exactly. They don't know how to stop. Yep, yep. And thank God their kids are well off and they just can't stop. Well, let's can't. talk about the kids. We'll talk about the kids. In the next yes. Time. Uh, <laughs> let's do that. So good. Absolutely. Let's see. Let's <laughs> see. Both. <laughs> all right. So I love this line. He says, they toil for the wind. And the ledger sheet of their lives ends in a zero balance. That's what he says about these uh, these very. I just want yeah. one more, like the community. It's, it's like a, a lot of these values that you know we, we, there is a lot of wealth in this community. Yeah, and, and and thank God, but at the same time, the pressure to keep that up and what we have to trade off to keep that up. Yes, you, you know, and, and go into perhaps careers that we wouldn't have gone into, and, and perhaps like, are we even enjoying this? Wealth? Exactly. Or are we just trying to keep up with these standards and selling our? Yeah. Like I said in a prior class, we work hard and do things we don't enjoy to pass on the wealth to people, to our children, who also work hard and do things they don't enjoy to pass it on, and it just keeps going on. We pass on. that on, too. Yeah, so who enjoys? No one. No one enjoys. All right, that's the point. And then that we put the pressure so on them to keep it up. <laughs> or, or worse, we put the pressure on them to live out the dreams we never did. Yes. Really uh, exactly. And we impose our so dreams on them. Oh, yeah. So many kids, like, where they'll get spoiled, they'll spoil their kids, but, but then keep up, you know. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's generational. Yeah, and then you get a lot of drinking problems. A lot of people <laughs> who are just searching for that satisfaction don't find it in money. Absolutely. Drinking, depression, anxiety, these rooted. Yes. And it's, and it's rampant in our community. Very much so. Very, very sad. Wow. Very, yeah, very painful. Exactly. It's a rare I mean, I'm sure if you, you could even, I mean, you could speak to states and yeah. see how many people are going in each week. Yep. Good homes, good people, a lot of money. Wow. Doesn't defend you. Exactly. Nothing Sorry, really does. Rampant. Yeah. No, no, it's, 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 it's important. It's the, the, you have to find real values if, if you want to have a happy life and if you have to find something you enjoy doing you want to get out of bed and and have a fulfilling life you got to do something you love so let's let's see uh the next episode of this section and that those riches are lost in some unlucky venture and if he begets a son he has nothing in hand so not only so did he not enjoy his wealth because it got it just got lost somewhere maybe it got stolen maybe just the stock market crashed whatever happened he didn't enjoy it. And worse than that, he can't even pass any of it on to his son like he had hoped. Right, so another grave evil is this. So that, that 
that line is actually uh, not supposed to be there, but they inserted it there, the translation. He must depart just as he came. As he came out of his mother's womb, so must he depart at last, naked as he came. He can take nothing of his wealth to carry with him. All right, so it's just this very humbling idea. You go from ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You, you, you come into the world bereft of any wealth. You're going to leave the world the same way. So it's, a, it's an injunction in a way to not allow that to happen to yourself. Go and enjoy. Because if you don't enjoy anything, there's just a tragedy in that. And, and that's not the way, the way life is meant to be. Right, you're not supposed to be just constantly slaving away. Adding that it's an evil, but it's yeah, yeah. So we're gonna they, they take that from a, like the next pasuks or maybe the, the following one. So we'll see why they did that. It seems like it's because they think that that this is the, the second. Ah, uh, yes. That's in Genesis, exactly. Beautiful. So I just want to make one point here. The problem is not that some people, like the son, die poor, but that some people, like the father, waste their lives in dreary labors. So that's the real tragedy, is the labor of the father, not the poverty of the son who is bereft. It's the real tragedy is the father not, not enjoying what he had while it was there. So let's see uh, the next section. Uh, so now this is where they, this is why they insert Vegam uh, Zerah, right? They, they put it over there because they think really this is, uh, is the beginning of it. But let's see what, what this pasuk says. Vegam Zerah so what is the good of his toiling for the wind, right? So what's the point of all of this? If it's just going to be to the wind, it's all going to be gone just within however, however much time. And he didn't take the time to actually enjoy the wealth. All right. So uh, this is, yeah, just till the end of the, the pedic, we're going to see um, now a different idea. So, you know, actually one more pasuka in this section, and then we'll go on to the next section. Besides, all his days he eats in darkness with much vexation and grief and anger. Right, so he's just not happy. He's worried. He's anxious. And he, why is he doing that? Because he's obsessed with working. And he's what? I'm oh, sorry. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, he's alone. I mean, he, even like he's with alone. All his money, he's nothing. Yes. And it shows you, like, without anybody, without anyone to share. The money with no matter how much money you have, you can't yeah. appreciate yourself without appreciating others. Absolutely, and 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 all of this was because uh, you you ever see the movie uh, the Bucket List, where you, you have Morgan Freeman is kind of like a middle class guy that it's two guys that have cancer, or one guy has cancer, one guy has another terminal illness, and they both decide they're not going to just die in a the hospital. They're going to go out and live their dreams and their bucket list before they die. It's a really beautiful movie with Morgan Freeman, Jack Nicholson. See, Morgan Freeman comes from a middle-class home. He's not so well-off, not so wealthy, but he, he decides he's going he's gonna, to you know, go do these things with his friend, with this Jack Nicholson fellow. Jack Nicholson, on the other hand, is extremely wealthy. He was like the head of a company, but he has no family. So it's like the opposite extreme. It's one guy has a lot of Adam 2 and some Adam 1. The other guy has a lot of Adam 1 and basically no Adam 2, and he's estranged from his daughter, and a lot of the movie is resolving that that tension there and getting him to, to reconnect with his daughter before he dies. And that's, you, there's one scene in that movie, the bucket list where Jack Nicholson goes home and he's eating a TV dinner and he's crying and he's just by himself and he has all the wealth in the world, but he has nobody to cook him a beautiful meal, no family to enjoy it with. And that's kind of what this reminds you of. If somebody's just toiling, if they're only focused on wealth, 
that's what you end up with. You end up with tremendous accomplishment, but very little actual satisfaction in life. Like David Campbell, I think has a beautiful uh, quote. He says, I climbed the ladder of ambition only to realize it was up against the wrong wall. Right? It's a beautiful quote. And if, if only you set the ladder also up against the wall of integrity and honesty and relationships and family, then you would realize that you climbed the correct ladder. I think it's also important to note that saying that he eats the choshek, like in darkness, he's yes. not necessarily alone. It's just that maybe he doesn't see the light of the people around him. Like he doesn't have relationships. Exactly. Right? You did brilliantly. What does Michael Fox say? He skimps on oil for his lamp. He's so cheap, he won't even pay to light the light at night. So he eats in the hushek on purpose to save money. That's how cheap he is, even though he has some wealth. Or in another way, the darkness is like the gloom of his spirit. Either way, this darkness is a tragedy because either he's just being extremely cheap or and that's why he's just really sad and in the dark. And either way, it's just a tragic image. And then this idea of vexation and grief and anger, the opposite of eating and drinking and gladness, like we're going to see in chapter nine, gladness and joy and eat and drink and be merry is this idea of grief and vexation in the darkness. And it's like sickness. Seforno says, yeah, exactly. It's, it's festering. It's a oh, very worse. It's worse and worse. He's so angry. He's ungrateful. Yes, exactly. He, he, he feels cheap. He feels uh, gypped by life yeah. in a way. He was a victim. He's playing the victim role. He is a victim. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Seforno says that the typical sickness of the wealthy is stinginess. They live poor in order to die rich. That's exactly what you're saying, that people are living a life of poverty and they're going to die with riches. What's the point? Wouldn't you rather live with some riches and then die poor? I mean, it would make more sense, in my opinion. But uh, again, what do I know? Obviously, you have to balance that with family. Stuff like that, but but with the point is very well made. And now we enter the final section. Any 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 comments before we dump it, uh, jump in? Trying to see the connection back. <laughs> yeah, from where we started. Connection We're back from where we started with the vows and, and, and vows and words. Yeah. I'm, I'm just uh, wondering. I'm, I'm I'm just wondering out loud. I don't really have. Yeah, maybe there's a there's a humility in realizing how finite we are, and therefore there comes a time when you have to just enjoy right now because you are limited. If you remember the day of your death, you're not going to put every all the enjoyment off for later. You're going to enjoy some of it now. And I think that's an underlying humility as well. There's a humility in Kohelet. It's not just hedonistic. It's not just nihilistic. It's also humility. Recognizing how, how limited we are. You know. Um, so let's see. Hasuk 17. So now this is going to be about what is good. So now this is Kohelet's kind of solution to this problem. ani only this I have found is a real good that one should eat and drink and get pleasure with all the gains he makes under the sun during the number of days of life that God has given him for that is his portion his portion is not the toil it's not the 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 worries it's not any of that the real good and the real portion of a man is there is to enjoy the wealth itself it's not to keep amassing it it's not to keep worrying about stuff so a really good thing he says the word yafe here is beautiful because it's an area in which humans can imitate god who makes everything to be yafe and it's time right i think we mentioned that in a different part of the book that the word yafe is associated with god's doing so if you want to imitate god if you want to emulate god's way then you got to do things that are yafe also and how do you do that 
you do that by enjoying the wealth in its proper time and not putting it off till you die. Um, and this idea of halik, like we said, it's not the wealth itself, but it's the, the enjoyment of the wealth, and that's your portion. But some parents, I think, they get enjoyment from seeing their kids have the things that they're paying for, you know. Beautiful. So that's enjoyment. Out. That's spending the money to build the pool for the kids to play in. And that's, you know, I think... Even if they don't use the pool or they have to use the Either way, it's not money sitting in the bank, at least. Right. You know, or if it is, it's going to their college fund or something. It's not going to be just something that they're never going to enjoy. So, so this is um, this is completely hedonistic. I mean, there is really nothing else to life. Only this. This is yes. the only thing. It's just uh, have some pleasure with the time that you have and, and uh, yes. you know, enjoy. I mean, this, you know, obviously I have a hard time with it. I'm like, that's not really the only thing. It's not even the most important thing, uh, you know, since one is pleasure, the entire purpose of our existence. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's mindfulness, gratitude. I think there is other things beyond hedonism there. Because like I see the word, um, should you all, like that you earn, that you earn something and you do earn something in a sense. And these par you may have, like to count your days, make them count. Yeah, um, but I, I do think that the plain that meaning of it. The idea of a yeah. that this is your chalet. Yeah. You should enjoy that in itself. It's a tough one. I, I think I think it is very hedonistic, bottom line, just the plain meaning of it. It is, is very hedonistic. And I think part of the reason for that is what we've seen already. He barely mentions family. He barely mentions anything like that. But I do think that the reason we appreciate it so much today is because we don't enjoy our wealth as, as much as we can. But uh, to, to, to echo your point, Dr. Nasser, yes, I think if Kohelet would have been brought up maybe with, with better values in a, in, a, in a loving family, he probably wouldn't be as depressed and coming to these same conclusions as he is. I think, uh, you know, Emil Durkheim's concept of anomie, that that's what comes when you tear down all of society's values. You say everything is a social construct and you expect people to make their own values. What ends up happening is this, there's just a gaping hole, a vacuum of values. And, and there, no, people don't know how to create their own values. And this is what happens. You end up with a Kohelet who is only able to find value in pleasure, physical pleasure. You know, so so there's that, yeah. there's a trap in this. Yeah, absolutely. So so I don't I don't uh, I don't disagree, and I think that a solution to it is take his words and and enjoy your your wealth, but in the context of a Torah lifestyle, in the context of a valuable lifestyle with with uh, family values and people that you love around you. And I don't think it, that he's necessarily contradicting that, but we don't hear enough of that collectiveness and groupishness that we would like to hear and giving back to a community. And he doesn't even see this as an opportunity to go help the poor. He doesn't mention any of that really. And that's what we would like to see, but he doesn't mention that because it seems of the depression that has befallen him from living such an isolated lifestyle outside of a group. To me, that's really the, the best conclusion I can come up with. Well, it's kind of almost, almost a um, reaction formation like to the other guy. The guy wasn't spending any money. It's this uh, needs to do the opposite. Mm. It, it's this extreme uh, other side of it, which isn't that good either. Yes, exactly. What we're saying. There's, there's got to be some- like, damn it, I, I missed, so if he had a redo button, yes. this guy who went and died alone yes. and without spending a dollar, if you pressed undo, he still had the wrong values, but now exactly. he's just going to go at least use it all. Yeah, the pendulum is swinging so far in either direction yeah, yeah. that you never finally have- so, Yeah, so this guy's a loner 
no matter what, right? I mean, if you look at him, whether he has money and he's, you know, uh, and he's not spending it or whether he is spending it, Kohelet only thinks of the world as the, the man is solo. He's got no friends, he's got no family, he's got no obligations. He, he doesn't really do anything except consume and work, <laughs> period. And it's just the mindset that, that, he, that the person can have during his, his time on earth. I mean, it's a very paper thin life existence I and mean, there's not much depth to it at all. That's exactly the problem, and, and that's that's the but tragedy. There, but there, it, that, like, there is a slight like good thing in what he's saying. It's yeah, not, because I think if you take it in the right way, there's certainly a, a message that we can glean from it. The joy but of portion. I wouldn't go as far as yeah. he would as to say that's the only portion that we. No, because no, yeah, yeah. that that seems to be what he's saying because of all that he's been through, you know. So. Ani, is that the word ani? It means the only. Where? Which one? In Asher Eti Anito. Ah. Uh, it just means I. I, I share your fill holy stuff. Yeah, the translation's not accurate. That is true. It says it's the he only hell call. Yeah, it never says only portion, but it seems like he's saying this is the portion. I need, I need to, it's, you know, he's just saying I saw a good thing in this world. Yeah, all right. I, I think that the most. I don't want to be. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. I, I'm just. I, yeah, I think the I most. I like the quote. Like, I, yeah. I, I want to do it. I think that I, I'm just saying, I think the simplest, the simplest reading is. This is your portion, nothing else. Yeah. I think that's what he's so saying. So, Paul is a very Asian Washir, you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he would agree with that. So, I may have been recall. He yeah. would definitely agree with that. So, let's see. Let's see the last two pieces of Kim. Gam kol ha'adam. Right. So, we said that. Gam kol ha'adam. Asher natan lo ha'elohim. Asher nunchasim ve'eshlito le'echom imeno ve'laset et halko ve'smach ba'amalo. Zomatat elohimi. Also, whenever a man is given riches and property by God and is also permitted by him to enjoy them and to take his portion and get pleasure for his gains, that is a gift of God, right? So when God permits you to actually enjoy and savor the pleasures that are available to you, that is a gift. And that is the greatest thing you can ever hope for is just to enjoy the pleasures of your wealth and to actually have them and keep them and see the results of them. So it's, it's, I guess at a certain level, it's true. That is a big blessing. And, and we want to be able to enjoy the fruits of our labor. But I wouldn't say that that's the be all end all of human existence. Like he is saying, I think there are values and deeper spiritual meanings to our lives that he doesn't recognize per se. And I think that's why we look at this book as very nihilistic and hedonistic. And he doesn't seem to have the depth of meaning that we would want to find. Well, I, I don't know if it's the whole book. This just this chapter on a journey. Yeah, we're gonna see more stuff. Sure. college right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we're gonna see more. Oh, no. Yeah, but a gift of God, like Matat Elokim. I mean, just to, it, admitting that you know your privilege and yes. and that what you have, like appreciating that. That's it. Is a gift from God, at least. Yeah. At least. And that goes that. right back to the beginning and understanding that God's above and you're below. Yeah. And what you get is that gift. Is that humility of, of understanding your place and that you, you're given yeah. this? It's a gift. Yeah. You're given it 100%. Um, let's, let's finish off. For such a man will not brood much over the days of his life because God keeps him busy enjoying himself. Get busy living. Right? Isn't that, ah, that's from, that, from the movie. That's literally from the bucket list. Get busy living, get busy dying. That's exactly right. You know, yeah, if you're not going to get busy living, you're going to get busy dying. And in one direction. That's right. There's only one way to go. Um, so just the point Bahar here. Bahar. Exactly. So 
to remember the days of your life would, and to be, it's almost like a distraction from your worries. You hear that here? He's saying the benefit of pleasure is that it distracts you from your vexatious thoughts, your anxieties. Is if you're just occupying yourself with the enjoyment of pleasure, you're not going to worry as much. Don't worry. Exactly. So and, uh, uh, not, not in the way you do it. I'm sure he would be dipping in the jacuzzi more often than you do on the cold plunges, but maybe. Um, although the distraction did not work for Kohelet, this is so interesting. In chapter two, he told us, I didn't enjoy all this stuff. I had all the wealth. I had it all. And, and I tried to distract myself with it. And I just keep noticing the emptiness of the world. So he's giving us advice that didn't work for him. But he's saying, maybe this will work for you because this is the best you could hope for. And maybe sometimes it worked for him. But it seems like for the most part, he saw that, yeah, pleasure also is empty. Everything is folly. But the best thing you could hope for is that folly. So th- there's two types he of He wasn't volume. able to do what he's saying we should do, yes. meaning exactly. he couldn't just sit there and enjoy it. He had to think about what was going to happen next and who was going to take over his, his kingdom and all this other. He couldn't just sit there, eat, drink, and be merry. But he wants us to do it. Right. Ridiculous. Yep. And even when he did partake in the pleasures, it seems that he was just left with a sense of emptiness. But he thinks that even that heavy, even that heavy lifestyle that he led or that is possible to live of just enjoying the pleasures, that's still preferable to not enjoying them. So everything is heaven, no matter what you do. So you might as well just enjoy rather than not enjoy. It's, the, it's a pretty depressing thought. And I think it, it, it harkens back to what we said earlier. Um, and he's still giving us this advice because he says, at least try for that, that which I failed at. And uh, in the same vein, the poet of the Egyptian Harper's song says, Michael Fox, despairing of the efficacy of mortuary rights to guarantee mortality. So they would do certain uh, you know, mummification rights to, to, to guarantee somebody become immortal in ancient Egypt. So he urges, so this Egyptian Harper's song, he starts doubting whether or not there's really an afterlife. So what does he say? He says something very similar to Kohelet. Enjoy yourself in the present. Divert your hearts from thoughts of death. Rejoice in your heart. Forgetfulness profits you. Follow your heart as long as you live. So just forget. Forget about the worries and just enjoy. It's a way of distracting yourself. And of course, this is, I don't want to judge his journey. And I know, of course, he's probably going to develop more ideas throughout the book. And mindfulness. Yeah, I guess being, being, present. being present and mindful. But that he, he strips away any of the, the stuff beyond pleasure, beyond physical pleasure. And that, to me, is the real issue. And that, to me, is part, of, part and parcel of the reason why he's so depressed in the first place. Is because he couldn't we find lost the last piece. What? What's the last piece? Well, we have the physical here. But it sounds like he has some kind. I mean, maybe we don't have a relational piece either. We're missing a lot of pieces. We have physical. Pieces. Missing a lot of spirituality yeah, and a lot of relationship. Yeah. yeah, and that's exactly it. It just keeps reiterating the same point. So, just to close off the chapter, I think if there's one thing you gain from this, it's that just realize where life can take you, where your thoughts can take you, where your philosophy can take you. If you don't find meaning in stuff, if you look at life as this, you know, tragedy and this this arena of complete folly, you're going to end up a hedonist. So I think that the only solution to that is to rely on community, rely on religion, rely on tradition. And I'm not saying follow blindly, never follow blindly, but at least feel like you're part of something greater than yourself. We don't hear much of that in Kohelet. And according to Jonathan Haidt, the happiness hypothesis, that is the key to happiness. Happiness comes from between. It comes from, on the one hand, 
your internal world and your internal values. And like the Buddhists would say, meditation and mindfulness is something you could do on your own. But that's not the end of the story. You cannot find full happiness with, you know, people say happiness comes from within. Nonsense. It's not just from within. Unless you have some kind of, uh, you know, disorder where you're just completely able to be schizoid personality disorder, you're just able to live apart from society. You need a society. You need, you need to belong to a group. You need a community. Go invest your time in, a, in an organization that does good. Go be part of your synagogue. Go find values in, in, in everyday life. And that's a real key to happiness rather than just living for the pleasures of today. There's pleasure in real deep value more than there is in just physical value. So, Baruch Amen. If you guys have any questions or comments, I'd like to hear. I just don't want to disregard the, the, the wisdom. Mm -hmm. I read something uh, the other day that said there's even wisdom in child sacrifice. In really? the sense that they're going too far, but it's showing that they're willing to sacrifice anything for their God. But it's too far. Absolutely. It's not the right thing, obviously. It's disgusting. Yeah. Um, it's warped values, but yeah. like the value of enjoying the moment. Yes. has its value don't like completely disregard oh absolutely not i wouldn't i would definitely not yeah, yeah i think it's a sure. and it's a vital teaching yeah like we've been saying and maybe this he is... couldn't strive for it and we could say it's hypocritical yeah. but like even like you listen you listen to some really wise people who've had deep struggles in their life they, yeah. like some people with the deepest struggles actually had the most wisdom on how to fight those struggles because they were warring against them their entire life absolutely and like we were saying because the pendulum has swung so far in in the direction of toil in today's day and age, this is a welcome voice in the conversation. We and we have this voice in society already, but I don't think we need to go as far as he's gone. No. I think we need to find the golden mean, the Shvila Zahab. Like I think also, like you mentioned, child sacrifice, I guess the more, uh, I guess the one that I think people should use is probably like what I what I see in the Torah, like Master. Like knowing that it's not really yours. I think that's the whole point of Master. It's not even that, and Master is nice to give, but the concept itself of what it is is you're remembering where you're coming from, right? You're remembering that it's all from Hashem anyway. So, like this 10% that you're giving, it's not even yours, you know? Wow. Right. And knowing that is similar to child's language that they're showing like everything, no matter what, from Hashem. But we're doing it the same way, but we're just doing it with 10%. But as long as you have that concept inside, knowing everything from it, then it's okay. Beautiful. I think the point is to learn it. Trust. Absolutely. That's, it. That's exactly right. All right, anybody, any other questions? I, I want to ask you guys, what does bitachon mean to you? What does that mean to rely on God, you know? And uh, I would be very curious also from I, the guys on Zoom as well. Yeah, I want to hear from you guys too. Let's hear from Zoom. Yeah. I feel like we need to rely on Zoom. Any, any uh, comments from the guys on Zoom? What, what does bitachon mean to you? Nico, you want to take a crack at it? Al, it's on you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no I feel like I'm give it. Oh, there we go. Nico? No. Oh, no, that was, I, I said no pressure. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I feel like I'm going to give a very, um, very low resolution answer here. You know, just like a trans translation. You know, this, I think this requires a little bit of thought. Um, but I guess if we're thinking out loud, I guess I would take it as far as like when Morris talks about when you go into uh, when you go into Shabbat and you have this mindset of, you know, my work is done. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you can maybe that's what Beit Ahon is in the same way. It's like it doesn't really matter what the circumstances are right now. 
you know, I, I have God on my side, or I, I would hope I'm in his good graces, and, and everything's going to turn out right, and everything's for the best. Maybe it's a mindset. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I think it's just a hopefulness more than anything. That's more than a hopefulness. Like it's knowledge. knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! Um, like I was at I was yeah. at Shul the other day, and the sun was setting. It was beautiful. The Ohel David and had me. Mm-hmm. Got this glorious um, sunrise. I think. Wait, I don't know. It was sunrise, and the sun was rising into it, and it's um, the sun was blocked by a pillar. And I said, "Wow, I can't see the sun." And like, imagine how it was from the society where I didn't know when the sun's behind a pillar that it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, the bitachon is that the sun is always there. Wow. And That's then the bitachon is that it'll come that, that, that behind the clouds is the sun, wow. or behind anything, behind all of it's Hashem. Wow. And that and that's putting that faith. It's very hard when it's cloudy. Yeah. That faith. That's right. Very hard. But exactly um, right. the the it's it's the the battle. It's a battle to do it, but it has rewards. The good toil. Absolutely. You can get there. I think there's a courage. There's a very there's a tremendous courage, like Rabbi Sachs used to talk about, in that faith. It's really faith in a better future, in God's ability to, you know, deliver us and give us freedom like we're about to have Pesach. And it's just a, a beautiful way of living your life. No one can guarantee it for you. And it's just, it's your choice. Do you want to live life in a trusting way, hopeful of the future, or do you want to live it in a cynical way? And, you know, in a way, I, I think a lot of the Kohelet stuff is a little bit cynical, where this is the best you could hope for. Instead, I think what the rest of the Tanakh is saying is strive for better, strive for a better world and justice, and don't just settle for less. With Pesach coming up, I wanted to focus on the word Eved. Mm. We spoke a little bit about it, the work of a sleep swap, and I'm thinking about the Eved, and who do we work for? I, I like to ask this question to people um, who are like slaves to their jobs, or slaves mm. to whatever institutions they're, they're working for, and it's like, who do we really work for? Well. If you really are an Eved Hashem in that sense, then you will sleep well. Exactly. Because you'll have that bitachon. You know who you work for. If you're doing wholesome work and you know that you, you're being and you, honest. And and you'll be free. You're no 100%. longer working for the evil, evil pharaoh. The mm. man. That, that man that doesn't have the best intentions out exactly. well, and, and we all have pharaohs to try and free ourselves from. 100%. And those are internal and external. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm still kind of said it better myself. Anybody have any other comments or questions? Um, uh, this is for for uh, Passover. We're talking about the seder, and it was just occurring to me. I don't know why, and I don't even know if this is anything related to what we're talking about. But anyway, uh, it's a thought. Um, great. You know, we are so lucky uh, the way, uh, to have the state of Israel right now. Um, you know, because for so many years, our our ancestors would be you know reading these passages. We're even just trying to understand the universe and trying to understand God's plan. And they really had very little to be hopeful for, you know, with the dark ages and the persecutions. And there was really, there wasn't that glimmer of hope at the end where they could say, look at that. Look, look at what Hashem did for us. Look, we know we have the Holocaust. It was obviously unspeakable, you know, pain and suffering. But look how things balance out and look how we're thriving today. You know, so many, you know, think 100 years ago, 80 years ago, 200 years ago, 400 years ago, it would have been so bleak. You know, you'd be saying, but you'd be like, yeah, 
Yeah, really? Yeah, that is no shot. You know what I mean? <laughs> the amount of faith it would have taken to really believe yes. in Lashana Bahaba'ah. That's why you brought it up. Right. The, the, this hope, this tikva, more than anything, is the defining lyric in that song for Israel. It's the dream. That's it. It's tikva, exactly. It's the hope and the dream. And that's, I think, really what it means to be a Jew. I'll never forget on Sukkot of this past year. Yeah, I, on Sukkot this past year, I gave a, a speech um, by Merle's house when we were doing Minyan over there. And uh, I, I gave the uh, uh, the beginning part of my speech was the story of the, the, the farmer where. Um, yes, exactly. My favorite thing where the horse runs away. Everyone says, how terrible the horse ran away. He said, maybe. And then the horse comes back with wild horses. Everyone says, how great. He says, maybe. And then. The, his son is trying to tame one of the horses and he breaks his leg and he says, is they said, how bad is this? He says, maybe. And then the conscription officers come to take his son away to the army and they reject him because he's a broken leg. And they, everyone says, how great is this? And he says, maybe. So Rabbi Hittery came up to me afterwards. He said, it was a great speech, you know, and it was, it was a good I- idea in the beginning. And it was very Buddhist, that story. I said, okay, I guess so. And he said, you know, maybe instead of the word maybe, he said again, it is faithful. So he said better than the word maybe would have been the word hopefully. It doesn't fit exactly, but that the concept of hope is, is I think, central to it. It's, it. To be a Jew, I think, is to go beyond the idea of maybe to the idea of hopefully. What about beyond? Beyond hopefully, I think you when shouldn't I hopefully, go. I think of a Met fan hoping they're going to win the World Cup. I think beyond hopefully, you shouldn't go because there's no guarantees. You have to be part of the hopefully yeah, you have to if you say it's guaranteed then you're going to let, leave everything in god's hands i think hopefully is the good balance between have faith in god plus i'm going to be a part of it if everything's knowledge if everything's guaranteed then there's no courage in it it's just already a done deal mm. but if it's a hopefully you're recognizing that it might not be and yeah. that you are a fundamental part of god's plan you recognize that it's a challenge and the but, challenge of 100 that's why i i like that word hopefully. that's strenuous is, is like worthwhile absolutely 100%. Baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen v'amen. Guys, thank you very much. Azaku Baruch, Michael. It was a pleasure. God bless. Azak ve'emats. Thank you all. Thanks again. These are wonderful times. We appreciate it. You guys are the best. Really, I can't thank you enough for the the participation and the questions and the comments there. Really make the class so much more enjoyable to have you guys participating, especially you, you, Dr. Nass, you add so much. And Albert. And Albert and Victor, you guys are the best. <laughs> I, I wish everyone a very good Pesach. Really enjoy your families. And, Amen. And, and these classes, you know, attending these classes before, it's, it's, gives, it gives a different mindset. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm so glad. I, I hope we, we did justice to the, the text and left you with a, an inspiring message. Thank you. Love you, Mike. Ah. Alamak. Take care. Victor and Albert, thank you. Okay, guys.